Awesome. We continue our series together as we think about this imperfect family. The thing about this idea of being imperfect is belonging to a family. And what does it look like to belong to to a family, and especially a church family? And then what does it look like to not just belong, but then when you belong, what do you receive from that family, from your parents? You receive direction. You receive leadership. You receive discipleship. And then also one of the things that's a, a common characteristic and quality of a family is they embrace one another. They love one another, even even when they disagree, that there's those moments where we embrace and, and hold on. And then today we're going to be thinking about the idea of contributing, that we get to contribute. Now, one of the things we love at our house is we love being able to host people, having people over and to hang out. And as a matter of fact, we've um, had people like being at our house so long, so much that they've stayed for six months to a year or even 18 months in our house when we're in Denver. And it was a great time. But there's a move from being a guest to actually a part of the family. And when you move from being a guest to a part of the family, you're expected to contribute. Because when we have people over to our house, one of the things that Mama tells us is she puts up a list of things that everyone gets to do, and it's a privilege and responsibility of being a part of the family. So that, you know, you got the, hey, you're going to wash the floors, or if you wash the floors anymore, or whatever you do, or vacuum the floors, you're going to clean the kitchen, you're going to get everything right. Because when we're expecting guests, we want to put forth our best. We're expecting people to come over, and so we're putting forth our best to do that. And so everyone in the family gets to contribute. And, you know, it's exciting as a family to get to clean the floors and to wash the dishes and stuff. That's an exciting thing, right? Not always. And so there's that moment. And so what does it look like for us to contribute to the family? Because there's an expectation for us that we go from guest to family. What does it look like for us to contribute into the family here as a body of Christ? Have you heard this in your house? I wish that just once... The blank one would, would get done without me having to ask for it to get done. You ever had that happen? Yeah. So the same thing is true that that's asked at your house. We ask that here as well as that question of, it's the idea of, can you spot something that needs to be done? And out of your own desire to love someone and to care for someone, you see it needed to be done, that you go and do it. Now, the teenage, young, adult, little kid thing to do is you see it and you go, Ah, that's mom and dad's job. And we laugh about it, but that happens in church too. Is that we see opportunities to do things and we go, ah, that's Pastor Chris's job. Whenever you're just as gifted, whenever you have just as amount of skill and you have the same calling as a follower of Jesus to see an opportunity and to love someone and embrace them as a part of the family and to go be a part of it and do it. And so this morning I want us to grasp this idea of what does it mean for us to contribute to the family of God? Because as our kids grow up, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, you know, a little one, we teach them, hey, I want you to help us prepare for dinner. And so we'll go get the silverware and we'll go get the napkins and we'll help them. And we'll show them and train them and teach them. So we may be doing that with them when they're two or three, but when they're 13 or 14 and we put on the list of the boards of responsibilities to do, mommy and daddy shouldn't be going with a 13 and 14 year old going, hey, here's where the silverware's at. You pull the drawer and you take out, this is a fork, this is a salad fork, all that different stuff and do that. But it'd be ridiculous but we do that in the church. Now, let me be honest with you. This idea of contributing and what it looks like is one of the most difficult things for us in the church because it takes the most time, it takes the most investment for us to be able to do to help someone grow up from being a baby to launching out into maturity. Because as we're 
as pastors, as followers of Jesus, our number one call is in following Jesus and to make disciples. This idea of making disciples is to do life with someone. And so that takes time, that takes effort. And if there are imperfect people that are becoming disciples of Jesus, then it's going to get messy. And so this is one of the most difficult things. We can put together youth programs. We can put together Sunday school programs or life groups or all this different stuff. But the place that we can really, really grow, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor of an American church, this is where the American church has, is weak, is not helping one another invest on a deep level and to grow people up into the faith of Jesus Christ, to teach them what it means to follow me. So this morning, what does it mean for us to contribute to the family of God. If you have our Bibles, we're looking at two places. We're looking at John chapter 13, where here Jesus is at the end of his ministry and end of his life with his disciples. And the other place that we're going to be looking is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And this is the, the second book. Paul had a lot of things to teach the church at Corinth. And this is one of those moments. And in both of these instances, Jesus and Paul are talking to followers of Jesus, disciples, and telling them this is what it means to contribute to the family of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Now, Passover festival, this is a celebration that the Jews would celebrate every year. And what they were celebrating was the moment of freedom that they received whenever they got out of Egypt Move from slaves out of Egypt to new life. And so this was the last thing that happened. There were plagues. And the Passover was all of the Jews would put blood over their posts. God told them, put blood over your doorposts. And a death angel is going to come across. And the first, more, first male son of every family that does not have the blood of the lamb over there will pass away. And so here the Hebrew people are being reminded of and they're remembering the Passover meal. So every year they would come together and, and to not necessarily celebrate, to remember that time. So here they are gathered, and this is the end of Jesus' life. So Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's talking about his disciples, those he had been investing in, doing life with, and teaching them, follow me. And so they literally, from morning to evening, were spending life with Jesus and, and mimicking him. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So you can imagine, here Jesus says, at the end of his life, he's been doing ministry and life with these guys for about three and a half years. He knows in his spirit this is the end of life, and one of the guys that he's been doing life and had vested deeply in, again, messiness, he knows that this guy is going to be betraying him. And so they're having a meal together, and he knows this is going to happen. And so here's kind of the tension that's going on. As a matter of fact, another part of this is in Luke chapter 22 that I'll talk about in just a second. So you can, if you want to, you can kind of put a little piece there you can look at later. Through the Gospels, there's this tension of what's all going on in the story. Now, Jesus knew that the Father had put all these things under his power and that he had come from God and he was going to go back and return to God. So he went up, got up from the meal, and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And one of the things that Jesus is doing is he's about to wash the feet of his disciples. As we talked a little bit about this last week, one of the things is about washing feet in the house. The lowest servant is the person that washes the feet, right? Because you got stanky feet. And so in those days, they had really nasty feet because they locked around the, along the roads. They got kicked up dust. They kicked up 
dung. They caked up all this stuff. And so all this is on their feet. And so you can imagine, here's just Jesus and his disciples in this room, and they know that a meal's coming. It's a Passover meal, and they're prepared for that. And in that day, to before you could eat, your feet had to be washed and your hands had to be washed to be cleansed to eat. So here are these guys with Jesus. They know the meal's coming, and they're all sitting around the table. As we've seen the picture, they all kind of gather together so they could have an Instagram selfie. You know that picture, right? So that's this moment. And so they're there together, and all of them are in the room, and they know that before they can eat, everyone has to have their feet washed, and everyone has to have their hands cleansed. And so they're going around the table, and none of them have gotten up to do this very necessary part of the process before they can eat. So you can imagine, here's John going, hmm. I wonder if my brother Jane, you know, who's going to do this? And kind of that whole thought. Well, we can look at Luke chapter 22 and kind of see what's even going on in their heads. Is They're not only thinking about who's going to be washing feet. They're asking the very question of Jesus. Jesus, who's going to be the greatest among us? So they're asking Jesus, Jesus, I, I know that you're about to become king. I know that you're about to be on a throne. I know that you're going to be the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we're here, the 12 that have suffered with you and done life and have studied with you now for the last three and a half years. We want to know what's the chain of command going to be? Who's going to be the guy on the right side? Who's going to be the guy on the left side? Who's going to be the major, the general, all these different things? Who's going to, what's the chain of command going to be? That's the discussion that they're having in Luke chapter 22 that's happening at the same time of here. And so while Jesus is with these guys, they're thinking, who's going to be the greatest? The greatest in the room, Jesus, is asking the question, who's going to wash the feet? Who's going to contribute? And even Jesus continues on, and he took off the outer cloak, and he began to get down on his knees and began to wash the feet of the disciples. And as he's washing the feet of the disciples, he's going from one to the next to the next. Peter looks and says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, well, if Yes, I need to wash your feet. It's a requirement for me to wash your feet. And Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Cleanse all of me. Jesus says, you you are all clean, except one of you, which is Simon, the son of Iscariot. What does it look like for us? Is that in our humanness, we get into a place and we begin to do life and we begin to ask the question of, who is the greatest among us? What position am I going to have? How can I be this? And how can, how can I, Jesus, how can I be in front of people so they can clap and applaud me? What power and authority, Jesus, are you going to give me? Is the question that they were asked Jesus at the end of his life. And they didn't know it was the end of his life, but he did. And so they're in there with Jesus, and they spent three and a half years, and all throughout this time, he's constantly teaching them, it's not about power and authority, it's about following me and serving one another. And I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And so in this very moment, in this room, the ones that should have been begging to wash the feet of Jesus are asking Jesus, how great are you going to make me? And here Jesus takes off his cloak and gets on his knees and begins to wash their feet. See, what Mama wants is for us to walk into the house and to see an opportunity to contribute and to serve. How can we wash the feet of those that we love? Instead of asking the question of who's going to serve me, how can I serve others? This idea of contribute, to wash the feet. Because imagine with me, one day, 
my wife comes home. And we've, the kids and I have contributed to the house. And the dishes are washed. The floor's been mopped. The floor's been vacuumed. We even put that little smell good stuff on there. There's candles lit. The front porch is decorated. The, the, the yard is mowed. Everything's perfect. And, and Mama comes up and she pulls in her car and she thinks, wow, it looks a little nice today. And then the moment that she opens the door, all of us as kids, me included, I'm one of the kids, gets down on her knees and is like, oh, Mom, we've anticipated this moment. We are so glad that you were here. We're so glad that we could serve you. She would probably pass out. <laughs> we thank you for the opportunity, Mom. We saw the opportunities that were before us to serve you and to contribute to this family like never before because we love you, Mom. We finally got it. She would pass out. We go, look, Mom, dinner's already made. It's already prepped. As a matter of fact, the shower's ready. The, the, the bed, the whole, everything's made. Everything, it's just ready for you to just come in and to just dine with us and enjoy and have pleasure being with your family. I know that sounds ridiculous. Although some of your wives are like, eh, let's get that going. <laughs> but to have the eyesight to see needs and to respond to them without being asked. Even if it means that I have to wash the feet of someone else. That that's our call as followers of Jesus. Is that while everyone else in the room is asking the question, who is going to pay attention to me? We're to be saying, whose feet can I wash? Who can I get the dung and the dirt and the mess and the stank of life? How can I be a part of presenting the good news of Jesus Christ? The one who should have been serving, served, was serving. What does it look like for us to contribute to a family? As it continues on, Jesus even talks about that he's the example for us. And as him being the example, the last thing he says that in this serving, in this foot washing, there's blessing. Time after time after time, I've talked to people that have kind of stepped out and they've stepped into a place to serve that maybe is beyond their comfort level. Continually what they say is, I thought I was going to be a blessing, but in return I received so much more. So in that moment of surrendering your pride, of humbling yourself, of saying, it's not about me and what I'm going to achieve, but who can I serve, that the blessing actually pours out on you. In the midst of the stank and messiness, you receive so much more to contribute to the family. There's a blessing in the contribution and in the serving. Turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And here Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And the two churches that he's kind of dealing with here in this, actually three churches that Paul is dealing with is, one is the Macedonian church. And the Macedonian church is in northern Greece, and they're extremely poor. And part of their deal is, is that, at Pentecost, they were, there was a group of them that came to know Jesus, and whenever they went back, they had to give up everything. So their, their jobs, their families, all that. And so you can imagine going back, and because you've said yes to Jesus, everything about your life and everything you've known is kind of gone. And so now you once you may have been rich, but now you're poor because of Jesus. And so that's part of the Macedonian thing. And now the Jerusalem church is under heavy persecution. 
because of the Roman Empire. And, and so there's been a, a dispersion of believers, and so a dispersion of the Jewish people. So people have left Jerusalem, and those that are, have remained are under heavy persecution, and they're, they're poor, and they're broken, and broken, and they're just trying to make it. They're literally hand-to-mouth, okay? And so Paul is intimately involved with both of these churches, and he's talking to the church at Corinth, which is a wealthy church. And he begins to talk to them about what does it mean to contribute, to contribute through serving, but what does it mean for us to contribute in our giving. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Again, these people that are in northern Greece that are poor. And in the midst of a very severe trial, they have overflowing joy. Now, this is an interesting, interesting passage. That in the midst of a great trial, they have overwhelming and overflowing joy. And what we understand from Scripture is, is that's because their foundation is, their life is not found in their circumstances, but their foundation and joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So in the midst of a severe trial, they can have overflowing joy. And in the midst of their extreme poverty, what happens? Generosity wells up with inside of them. So see, this, this is like, what in the world? This is Jesus stuff. That in the midst of poverty... That in the midst of persecution, what the world would say, you fools get out of there, something wells up with inside of them, and they, they, they have an extreme joy and an extreme generosity comes forth. And Paul says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, that they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. That they were like, Paul, you've told us about Jerusalem, and we are burdened by this, and even in our poverty, we have an exceeding joy and an exceeding opportunity to well up and to give what we've got. We don't have a lot, but we're going to give it. And here's what Paul said. They exceeded our expectations. Because Paul had come in saying, hey, I'm, I'm reluctant to even tell you guys this. I know you guys don't have anything, don't have much, but here's, here's the need. And boom, here's what happened. They gave themselves first all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had early done in the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Talking to the Corinthian church. I want you to experience what it means. Because since you, the Corinthian church, excel in everything. So when someone looked at it, when Paul looked at the Corinthian church, he's like, look, y'all are an excellent body of family, and you excel in everything. You excel in faith. Maybe when we talk about faith, we're, we're pointing to the Corinthian church. When we talk about your speech and how, how you, you talk and how you do that, that we're, we're lifting you up. You excel in knowledge. Like you know the truth. You know the word. You're, you're a great, intelligent group of people. And you have a complete earnestness and love that has been kindled in you. We see these things. I also want you to excel in the grace of giving. Why? It's not something he's commanding them, but he wants to test the sincerity of their love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. Now, I can tell my wife that I love her every single day, every single hour. I can text her. I can emoji her. I can bitmoji her. I can do all this stuff. I can say those things over and over and over again. But if my actions don't match up my words, guess what she believes? My actions. So this is what Paul is Telling the Corinthian church, look, 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 you've talked about all of this stuff. But what I want to, I want to challenge you with, here's this Macedonian church that literally has nothing and they have given everything they can possibly give. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He's, he's, he's showing that the poverty of Jesus, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And here's my judgment about it. It's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first to not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. See, the deal is the Corinthian church was the church that had kind of led out and said, hey, listen, God's blessed us and we want to be the ones to giving. But they had stopped. They'd stopped contributing. Here's what I want to challenge us with. Is that God has called us to contribute with serving, but he's also called us to contribute through our giving, through our financial giving. And it's not about equal amounts of money, but it's about equal amounts of sacrifice. And it's about saying, listen, I want to be a part of this family. I want to wash the feet. I want to do what I need to do. God, I want to move forward in this direction of my life. I want to just share just a, a couple of stats with you. Because the question is, is, what if everyone said, today is my chore day? What if at our house and at your house... We were fighting not about who's not going to do the chores, but about who's going to do the chores. That'd be really cool, right? Well, the same thing that can happen at your house like that, there's this change of direction and heart, the same thing needs to happen in an imperfect family like this. Because imagine if what of all, all of us that would say that we're a part of the Second Baptist imperfect family, we would say, what are the opportunities before me to be able to serve? As a part of this body, over the last 18 months, there's about 525 family units that we would say, as best to our knowledge, would say that Second Baptist is their church family. 525 family units. So that may be a single person, that may be two people, that may be three people. Some of you, it may be ten people in your family. You know, I don't know. Jonathan and Hannah. All right? And you got all these kids. And so your family unit grows, all right? And so there are 525 family units. That's a pretty good deal in a town of... 5,000, there's 525 family units that would say that they're a part of this place. Out of that 500 family units, if best estimate that there's 825 potential servants, okay? Currently, about 200 people serve on a regular basis. So that means we have 500, 825 possible and 200 serve. That means we have about 625 that aren't for whatever reason. Think about a movement, an army of people that we have that could, if we could jump in together and everybody contribute in some small way. Again, it's not about equal, it's about equal sacrifice. Out of 525 units, about 270 of those family units have given a dollar over the last 18 months. Just one dollar. If you gave one dollar, it's in there. About 270 have given. If 525 would give... At about 10%, we would have a budget of over $3 million. That blew me away. I guarantee if we had a budget of $3 million, LGISD would figure out a way to tax us. I mean, I'm joking about that, right? But what I'm saying is, is that that is a movement of people on a mission together to change the world. And our mission is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And you know that I don't talk about money about here, but I, what I want you to do is understand equal contribution can change the world. If we see some needs and not even have mama ask us, 
to serve and to contribute and to jump in. What can the movement of God be in a place like this where 500 and something families say, this is where I'm fleshing out what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this community of LaGrange and how we can bless this community, how we can help stem some hunger, how we can help provide housing, how we could do some different things for people that we can't begin to do right now because we can't. But what would it look like for us as a family to say, listen, we're all in. My family's imperfect. There's some messiness. But instead of being the one to ask, where's my position? To ask, where can I wash feet? Where can I contribute? It's a difference. It's a difference of a family that sees contribution. What if everyone said, it's my day to do chores. It's my day to jump in. Because listen, as good as God's been, still nine out of ten of your neighbors are not in church this morning. So I got to keep hosting for my friends. I got to keep cleaning the house. I still got chores to do because I still got more friends. I want to know more people. I want more people to experience and sit down and sup with the Jesus that I know. There's a town not too far from here of 3,000 people. This morning in that town of 3,000 people, less than 100 evangelical followers of Jesus will be in church. I found that out and I began to weep and I'm like, how in the world? How can there be evangelical followers of Jesus in a town and there's only a hundred in the United States of America? That's a burden on my heart. How are we going to get into that? How are we going to get into the fleshing out what it means to be followers of Jesus and to contribute to the family and to have the family continue to grow for Jesus? It can't be me. Jesus could do life with 12 people. I don't know if I could do life even with 12 people sometimes. It takes all of us contributing and giving in. We're an imperfect family, but we have a perfect God that will move us and give us what we need when we need it. Jump in to the family. And we hope to see you grow up from moving to putting spoons and forks on the table to cooking meals and then cleaning the house and inviting people over to share your story of Jesus. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you for your generosity. Your son's death on the cross. Every day amazes me more that you would give a gift that great. The longer I live, the more I grasp the depth of my sin, the depths of the evil in my heart. And that you would willingly say that you, Chris, I love you enough. You are worth it. I will give my life. You. I will wash feet so that you will come to know the freedom that there is in Jesus Christ.
Father, may we be a group here that washes feet, that serves and looks for opportunities to contribute to your family and to the family here as we, as a group, pursue and follow Jesus. It's going to be messy. It's going to be lots of towels. It's going to be lots of water. It's going to be lots of laundry. But it's worth it. You're worth it. Let us contribute. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.